0: SQLcast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman on film.com. You know,
1: boy, I'm getting a little tired of your wise lip. Now, you uh, you get yourself someplace else before I (laughs) have to drop your britches in front of all these fine ladies and uh, spank your little bottom blue. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sounds are doing
0: really well. Shock Treatment to Jason X To Police Academy 6 This is Sequel Cast And they are unsurpassed At following a franchise until the And welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at films that are franchise, one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley. Shurgy with me is William Thrasher.
1: And lo, they who sow the wind shall reap the whirlwind.
0: We are talking about of course a twister first in an septology of nature (laughs) disaster films for michael Crichton. no we are talking about young guns as the poster says six reasons why the west was wild this was like you took a a cast out of tiger beat um you know teen heartthrobs the the brat pack as it were and put him in a western Uh, directed by christopher kane who is the uh, father-in-law of dean kane as it turns out uh who is written not by, in this movie. No, he's not. Um, <laughs> written by John Fusco, starring Emilio Estevez, Kiefer Sutherland, Lou Diamond Phillips, Charlie Sheen, Dermot Mulroney, Casey Simisco, uh Jack Plants and uh, Terrence Stamp. Music by Anthony Marinelli, Brian Banks, cinematography, Dean Semler, edited by Jack Hofstra, um, released uh, by Fox. This came out in 1988. Uh, with a budget of $11 million, it made $45.6 million. That is domestic gross, meaning the U.S. and Canada. Um, so 1988, quite a lot came out that year. That's, in fact, the first year I remember actively remember going to the, the movies a lot with my family. I would have been mm. six years old at the time. Um, where do you think this placed in domestic box office?
1: Yeah, I bet f- f- fifth. Uh,
0: no, 22nd. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, 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 you know, that's quite good. So it, it did better than, like, the John Candy comedy, The Great Outdoors, or the uh, fifth Dirty Harry movie, The Deadpool. Um, but it did worse than things, uh, even some things that are considered flops by modern standards, like Willow, or <laughs> A Fish Called Wanda, or Naked Gun, the first movie, did, did better than Young Guns. Um, and for context, you know, the top three movies of 88 were, uh, number one, this is surprising to me, uh, was Rain Man. Number two, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And number three, uh, Eddie Murphy's Coming to America. And in fact, Eddie Murphy is filming a se- er, just wrapped filming a sequel in Atlanta, Georgia, Coming to America, called Coming, and then, the, then the number two, then America.
1: Oh, well, stiff competition then.
0: Yeah, also Crocodile Dundee 2 was the number six film of the year, quite <laughs> odd. But yeah, you're right, a lot, a lot going on.
1: Well, you know, A Fish Called Wanda uh, is very well-loved. I think I think we can call Naked Gun a classic, which we did cover on the show. Uh, Willow, I'm sure Willow cost a lot more money to make than this movie, so though uh, it was yes. higher ranking, it probably wasn't nearly as profitable. Uh,
0: that is true. And also, Willow, um, it's, they're supposed to be developing a uh, Disney Plus series based on Willow. Huh. Whether George Lucas is involved, I don't know. I think legally, you know, he doesn't have to be involved in anything. And I, I also wonder, you think George Lucas is going to be involved in Indiana Jones 5, if it actually comes out?
1: I, I feel like he would have to, because don't he and Spielberg share character credit on that franchise?
0: Um, George Lucas shares story by credit, but they had some deal where... Steven Spielberg, Harrison Ford, and George Lucas had to agree on, on things, like a favored nation's clause, um, which is why, even though they were happy with the script for the fourth movie, George Lucas made them rewrite it. That's neither here nor there. We've talked about Indiana Jones in the past. We were talking about Young Guns, a movie I've heard about for years. I used to work at Blockbuster Video a few times, and uh, it would always look at the the box and see think well that's a hell of a cast and then never rent it because i i don't uh, typically like westerns that much
1: yeah and that's and i've, I've actually done some thinking about this because my interest in westerns is really only fairly recent over the last decade and i think the reason why uh you know growing up in the era when we did um Hollywood overproduced westerns. There were, a lot, and as a result, that meant there were a lot of cheap westerns that could be sold into syndication. Which meant at any given time of the day, there was a western on TV, even if you only had local stations. Uh, and as a result, the overabundance of the western can sour you. The overabundance of any genre can sour you on, sour you on the genre pretty quick. So I know I had seen scenes of this movie. At different different points in my life, but it being westerns, which I was pretty much tired of by that point, uh, I would usually end up changing the channel and trying to find a Star Trek rerun or something like that. So this is the first time I've seen the movie all the way through from beginning to end.
0: Yeah, my dad um, loves westerns, and he would I think oh, he would really like try and force my sister and I to watch some <laughs> movies he liked. And if we fell asleep during the movie, he'd start it back from the beginning. It was a bit of a sadistic <laughs> enterprise, um, and yet. With, um, but, you know, some Western stuff I like, I really like the HBO series Deadwood, and I think that's almost more because of the actors and the, the writing, the flowery uh, language uh, than the, the setting. And, and it struck me recently watching things like the Westworld series on HBO is, um, to my mind, Western is almost like science fiction in that, although unlike science fiction, the Wild West, you know, is a real place where things happen, but it's so far removed and how people act is so um, opposite from like modern reality.
1: Well, you know, I wish, I wish I could remember this. This was a stand-up comedian in the '90s who had a whole routine about this, about why we romanticize the old West and the cowboys, and because it's because if you're in the old West, you can you can shoot people dead, drink all night, uh, and sleep with mm-hmm. as many hookers as you want and still be one of the most respected members of your community. Like, it's 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 an environment that's easy to romanticize, because you could get away with so much bad behavior at the time.
0: Right, and um, it, it's not the best movie in the world, but I do like some of the points made in the Seth MacFarlane comedy. I think it's called, like, A Thousand Ways to Die in the West or something. And it just it, it underlines how dangerous living in the Wild West would actually be and how easy it would be to die.
1: Oh lord yeah there, there's a great book uh it's uh it's a comic book uh slash anthology graphic novel uh called The Big Book of the Weird Wild West that's all about lesser known stories of uh the American West and there's a whole section about about liquor in the old west and how close to poison it was <laughs>
0: Torpedo Juice, yeah, you know that, that's interesting. I, I never read uh, that particular big book, but my friend uh, Zach, uh, growing up, um, he he had a lot of the other ones, like about you know the history of punk rock and all these other things. And uh, I, I, th- that's a wonderful series of books. I wonder if they're still making them, but regrettably like, a, they aren't. If if I, uh, had, if I
1: had my Druthers, I would bring that line back. Uh, yeah, I've I mean, got a what, what a
0: clever way to, to do you know little standalone bits of history. Um, with the very kind of, you know, indie comic punk uh, sensibility. Yeah, that no, it was a very cool series. Thanks for uh, reminding me of that. And, yeah, and I mean, this film, Young Guns, um, I, I always try to find the DVD, if I can, for us to use as reference, because I think it's higher quality than streaming a lot of the times. Even the regular DVDs sometimes have better transfers than what's available on the streaming services uh, that we watch together for these shows. And um, unfortunately, I don't know about this happens to you in Kentucky, but here in Portland, a lot of the local used DVD stores have just been closing up and going out of business uh, lately. Within the past few months,
1: well, we don't have any in Frankfurt. If we want anything like that, we have to we have to drive into Lexington, where there. Mm. Strangely enough, there are a few places, and I think that's because uh, it's become a bit of a trend. A lot of a lot of people have opened up stores that sell used video games and systems that are too mm-hmm. old for, for for GameStop to touch, and a lot of yeah. them do a business on the side with DVDs. So the, there are options. I just have to drive 45 minutes to get to
0: Ah, geez, yeah. Um, but, but anyhow, when there was one, you know, I've always wanted to do Young Guns on the Sequel Cast show since we started it 11, 12-odd years ago. Uh, and Young Guns 2 is really easy to find. You can toss a rock and find like five compilations with Young Guns 2 on it. Or get it for like two dollars, but Young Guns One for some reason is much harder, even though they're both were you know now technically uh, I think Sony has the rights to them or whatever. And for this for this show, we were able to watch them for free uh, streaming on Crackle, which is Sony's uh, bizarre streaming service. That I don't know why they still run it right because it's it free.
1: ads in the weirdest places. <laughs> uh, I
0: mean, yeah, that has to be done through automation, right? Because it's like it'll be like in the middle of a scene where someone's shooting the other guy, or in the middle of a dialogue scene. It's not. There's a uh, artful places you can put commercials, and with automation, it's not one of those things. Um, but I mean, let's actually talk about the the film here. We've done our trademark tangents. Um, I, I I would say overall that this movie really sort of surprised me. It I, I didn't love it, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, and it, it has kind of a, you know it has an actual story to it, which I wasn't expecting. I thought it would just be like beefcake shots of these. Uh, 80s Hollywood hunks, you know, doing poses and shooting at the camera because the opening credits is, is is are awful.
1: Okay, I'm going to disagree with you on the opening credits. Okay, so so the opening credits, it's just you know western-ish music, and it's one by one, uh, all of the all of the actors in their costumes coming forward, and we get their credit on the screen, and then they just start they start you know firing off all their guns uh, as the rest of the credits come up. But I kind of liked it because they they do this effect. I I assume it's a video effect that washes out uh, the colors uh, and kind of messes up the frame rate. It makes me feel like I'm looking into a really old photograph. That that helped helped bring me into the movie. I'm I'm on the side of these credits. Although that being said, they do look very (laughs) direct-to-video.
0: Yeah, I mean, it looks like someone's using video toaster effects on the Amiga to do this, like, invert color effect. And, and uh, it should be noted the music by Anthony Marinelli and Brian Banks uh, intentionally is very incongruous. You you expect, a, 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 typically people expect a Western to be like an Ennio Morricone um, kind of, you know, a score with whistling and brass and uh maybe kind of a Mexican flair to it sometimes. And and what we have here is a butt rock score.
1: <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh yeah, there's a mix there's a mix of classic and contemporary uh instruments and especially during during the, the very first scene when um when uh William Bonnie, Billy the Kid is introduced there's this there this there's this like electric guitar synth drum sound which I really didn't like and then all of a sudden an old-timey fiddle joins in the moment the fiddle joins in it sounds perfect to my
0: ear mm. yeah and I, I bet you know I, I don't think the music works in the movie but I bet like if you put the score on in the background while you're writing or drawing it might be pretty cool um it it, it's a it's a choice i don't think i was talking to someone on twitter recently um i don't think it's as bad as say the score to lady hawk have you heard that one
1: yes yes i have
0: which is by the uh, alan parsons um which is horrendous like jazzercise synth and it basically ruins that movie um i wish we could talk about that movie in the show but yeah i mean it's no sequels Nope, nope, uh, not yet. I'm just kind of surprised you thought you'd get a remake or something from name recognition. (laughs) Anyhow, but yeah, but Young Guns, it's very loosely, loosely based on real history, which is something I didn't even realize going into it.
1: Yeah, something I appreciated uh, cause when I was doing my research after watching the film, uh, that that hit me. Because, you know, you, you almost expect, at least in any Western, at least one legendary figure of the West is going to show up, if only for a cameo. But, of course, here we full-on get Billy the Kid, played by Emilio Estevez. But what's really cool about this is that it's based on uh, the Lincoln County War, which was an actual shooting war between ranchers and cattle barons and other various folks in New Mexico, and this this movie does take full advantage of that backdrop.
0: It does, and uh, the the screenplay by John Fusco is better than than I would expect. You know, they could have easily just done something that. It, I mean, I don't think there's like great character work being done here, but there's a certain repartee between the members of the uh, the regulators, and um, it has a, a good story structure. And I guess we should talk about where it begins. There's a uh, there's a guy, uh, John Tunstall, played by Terence Stamp, who's a, a British fella living in New Mexico and Lincoln County. Hence the Lincoln Wars. Uh, And he kind of has wayward uh, youth come and uh, rep scallions come and help him on his ranch.
1: Yeah, he he takes in he takes in young men with troubled pasts and kind of helps educate them, teach them a trade. uh, And, you know, they they help him ranch cattle and uh, shoot down rustlers. Uh, and they do a really decent job, kind of getting you on uh, getting you on Turnstile's side, because uh, his his whole character introduction is we know we we don't even know that Emilio Estevez is playing Billy the Kid. Uh, we just know that he's a young man being chased by being chased by a posse, uh, and. Turnstall just kind of invites him to jump into the back of his cart as he's leaving the general store, uh, and so like you know right right off the bat he saves this young man who for all we know uh, is is innocent of whatever crime uh, of which he's been accused. Although we we lose that uh, <laughs> that thought pretty quick. I mean he very very early as some of the some of the other young men are talking about like why they're at the ranch, and he just flat out says, "Oh, I, I killed a man."
0: Yeah, and we learn in short order too that Billy the Kid is a real hothead.
1: Well, he's not just a hothead. This movie portrays—I I will go so far as to say—this movie portrays him as an outright psychopath. He- yeah truly enjoys killing, he just happens to be in a position uh, throughout this movie where he sort of has the law on his side, but he gets so reckless and takes so many lives that I am honestly shocked that the regulators don't turn on him. Now, admittedly, in the actual war, the regulators didn't turn on him, but in the actual war, so far as I know, he did not show up as a young man taken in by Turnstile. He was a guy who went there to get a piece of the action as a mercenary and that's how he got brought into the regulators because the historical regulators weren't just the guys at turnstall's ranch it was mm. a mix of young men from the ranch but also local independent ranchers and local people who had nothing to do with the ranching uh with the cattle ranching but were just sick of the violence
0: yeah and it's a pretty pretty uh, early on in the film when turnstall is, is, is killed off which kind of kicks off the plot proper and I have to say, Terrence Stamp, he's not in the film a lot, but with his limited time, uh, he, he displays a nice warmth to his character. And to see him playing uh, a good guy, I, I find to be pretty unusual, uh, at least from, you know, we I, I um, think of him in things like Zod and Superman 2 and, and all these things. He plays bad guys a lot. Uh, but... Well-
1: well, he has a lot of good traits. I mean, he, he's tough, but he's fair. He is mm-hmm. trying to help these, these young men. He, he's very educated, but he wants to help educate them. There's even a great scene where they're all just gathered – after supper, they're all just kind of gathered around, and they're just – he's there's passing around a newspaper, and he's helping them learn to read it, uh, and that's – I found that to be a very, a very endearing scene, and he doesn't really condescend to them. He just kind of offers them sort of gent- gentle prodding as they, they try to, to figure out their letters.
0: Yeah, he's kind of the Yoda figure of the film, and, and um, when he gets bumped off, that's when the rubber hits the road. You know, the main, uh, the big, the big bad, as Joss Whedon would say, of the movie is Lawrence Murphy, played by uh, legendary actor Jack Palance.
1: Oh, he's so good.
0: He is. I wish he was in the movie more. I was kind of surprised, but he was probably you know one of the bigger gets in the cast as far as respectability and, and they, all these things.
1: They could have put him in the movie more. That being said, though, whenever whenever he's on screen, he just commands the scene. The only the only thing I can say against him is that he's supposed to be so he's he's supposed to be Irish, and that that's part of the tension between him and Turnstall is that he's Irish, Turnstall's uh, English. The thing is, Jack Palance sometimes has an accent and sometimes doesn't.
0: And it's better when he doesn't.
1: You know, in a lot of ways a lot of ways it is.
0: I mean, it, it, they could have just done it where they call him Irish and he doesn't speak with an Irish accent. Like, movies do that all the time. And that's often <laughs> better than, than, you know, the infamous example is Kevin Costner in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves.
1: <laughs> where they just don't even try.
0: Where, where, where the British stuff like kind of goes in and out or... Uh, I was going to say more recent, but it's not really that more recent. Uh, Keanu Reeves in Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh,
1: which way? To the castle?
0: Yeah. Um, and originally, you know, he was supposed to play that part of Harker in that movie. Uh-huh. Coppola was really wanted Johnny Depp and the studio said, no, you have to cast Keanu Reeves.
1: Huh. Interesting. And I think
0: even at that time, Johnny Depp um, would have likely given him more let's say, compelling performance. I don't... Keanu Reeves can be good if you use him in just the right thing.
1: You need the right director with the right direction. But when those things happen, his performances are amazing.
0: Right. Um, He's quite good in the John Wick movies. I'm very excited for Bill & Ted 3, which finished filming not that long ago in New Orleans. Oh, yeah. With the original writers, and it has the director, Dean Pariseau, of uh, Galaxy Quest.
1: Oh, Nice.
0: So it should be good. It's a shame George Carlin isn't with this anymore, but um, I think I believe they're having Kirsten Shawl or something in a similar role.
1: Huh. So back back to this movie. Yeah. Um, I would say Young Guns has a, a surprisingly slow pace.
0: hmm Well, it's a western. I think that works. You think? I think of westerns, nineteen fifties movies that have like slower paces in general. But you're right; like it takes its time for the story to get going. And I think that's part of the reason why the opening credits are these guys like shooting camp, shooting guns at the camera to fake you into thinking, oh, this is going to be an action movie. And <laughs> while there's action, uh, it takes a while to get there. It's in a lot of ways more of a character piece.
1: That's very, that's very true. And like, and we get a lot of character moments. I mean, we got all the moments, you know, of them, <clears throat> of all the young men interacting on the ranch, and, and you know, you know, doing their various jobs. Then there is a. Uh, was it a New, uh, New Year's party they all go to in town?
0: I, I believe so. Yes.
1: Yeah, and you know we get to see we get to see how they interact with uh, we get to see how they uh, interact with uh, uh, with women and other local townsfolk. Uh, we get to see some of the tension between them. Uh, oh, excuse me, uh, between them and uh, Palance's gang, and that's also when uh, uh, there's a there's a, a Chinese woman, Yen Sun, uh, is introduced. So. And, and this this leads to uh, I guess like an a on-screen romance I kind of both uh, love uh, and hate so Keith or Sutherland's Josiah Doc Scurlock, mm. uh takes a shine to her and it turns out Jack Palance is her is her legal guardian but the whole reason he's her legal guardian is that he did a hostile takeover of her family's laundry business and essentially just kind of kidnapped her and is holding her hostage to ensure her family's cooperation. Uh and it's it's always interesting seeing them sort of like play off of each other and uh you know, she does start to take her own initiative later in the film. But that being said, uh Doc's Doc, Doc Skurlock there are th- there are things he does that I'm sure are meant to be endearing but end up coming off as kind of creepy like when he's quoting <laughs> poetry to her that he's written that's really sweet but when he like sneaks into her room and is just kind of hanging out in her bed <laughs> she clearly doesn't want him to be there uh, That that's and, and he won't leave that is until somebody starts banging on the door that is real creepy
0: yeah you know I keep your southern I think can be quite a good actor, but there, there's something about his his face when he tries to do a grin that it always comes off as creepy, which is maybe why I never watched his TV show 24 that was really successful. Um, like I, I, just, and it may, it might be the first time I ever saw him was in The Lost Boys or something. Maybe I still have something some baggage hanging on from that. But unlike his father Donald Sutherland, who I think is like really good at comedy, but can also be very like serious and austere. As a, a paternal figure in the Hunger Games films and so forth, uh, Kiefer Sutherland seems to um, uh, be more of like a rogue. I don't know what it is. There's something about him. He, he's a good actor, but uh, you're right. I, he, he he cannot. I, I think his father could do a lover boy character better than he could.
1: Well, what strikes me about about his performance is that he looks, acts, and moves like Shaggy from Scooby Doo.
0: <laughs> loose.
1: Yeah, like, I, I, the whole time I just, wow, if you had made the live-action Scooby-Doo during this time, you get Kiefer Sutherland to play him, because I think he'd be the perfect choice.
0: That, that's, uh, that's pretty inspired. Um, I think, you know, out out of the main group, um, it, it should be noted that Charlie Sheen, who plays Dick Brewer, uh, and Billy the Kid, who's played by Emilio Estevez, they're, they're brothers. Sometimes they act in movies together, not very often. And um, Emilio Estevez, I think, does the better job here, but he also has more, more of the heavy lifting.
1: Well, he definitely has more to do. I mean, he's a, he's a character with an outsized personality who catalyzes a lot of stuff in this film.
0: Um, I really liked Lou Di- Diamond Phillips as uh, Jose Chavez y Chavez.
1: Oh, he was great. Yeah, he's a. what Was it? He, uh, he is a like a, a Mexican father and a Navajo mother. Was the the background? Yeah, and the and, part
0: where he gets everyone to trip, oh, is yeah, pretty that, great.
1: That's that's a really endearing scene. So this is so one thing I noticed while doing research is that the movie uh, was praised uh, for being for being very historically accurate. Now I cannot say whether it was or not. Um, but that being said like the scene I I kind of I liked the scene where 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 Chavez gets everybody to trip on peyote although I think it d- did I think it does overstay its welcome uh you know cuz he he's you know being all creepy with his, with this like skull face paint and talking about how they're going to have to have visions and they do this neat thing where whenever people speak their voices are modulated uh and we never we never see what they see while they're tripping but we do see them just sort of like wandering around and talking to themselves, and like you know doc doc starts like ruminating on the nature of love and desire uh, dirty was it? Uh, dirty Steve uh, he keeps seeing monsters and just starts shooting in random directions. <laughs> Then at one point they uh, they it takes forever for the drug to wear off. They ride through a reservation, and they're talking about, oh, they can't see us because we're not physical anymore. We're on the we're on a spirit plane, and all the all the people are looking at them like, oh god, these assholes.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a very funny moment. But I guess we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. We need to talk about the the men forming the group of the regulators.
1: Yeah. So. Um, After leaving uh, the New Year's party, they're all they're all riding back to to Turnbull's ranch and they keep showing these these uh, wild quail uh, and other game birds that keep looking agitated, which it's not just because they look cool and they add like local color. Turnbull realizes something spooking them. He knows something's up. So he kind of encourages the boys like, oh, why don't you all have fun and just race back to the ranch? So they all ride forward. Well, it turns out he's not doing that because he's nice. He's trying to save their lives because once the boys run off on their race, he immediately gets surrounded uh, by Palance's gang who just gun him down. They kill him and they kill his horse uh, and and ride off. And it's only because all the young men have, have run off to do their race that they aren't caught in the crossfire, although they do see it happen and they are, they are just the horrified. So this, this really helps to sort of catalyze the action. So I really like that. that death works really well in the movie. That being said, um, I, did, I did find out in the actual Lincoln County War, the way, Turn, uh, the way Turnstall died is that there was a warrant out for him. Some crooked magistrate had issued a warrant for him, and a posse, a different posse showed up uh, to, uh, to, to collect him. And one thing led to another, and he got shot. Hmm. So this is one point that divert that diverges from history, but in a way that works really well for the movie.
0: Of course, um, and, and with the them as the regulators, you know they have they're all given uh, badges.
1: Yeah, they are officially. Uh, there's a. Turnstile has a friend who's also his lawyer, who uh, you know was trying to help him out, and he's disgusted with Palants and his gang, and so yeah, he comes up. He finds a. There's a law that says the boys that you can do the special if somebody if somebody in power has done something wrong you can deputize civilians to then collect warrants on people who also have law enforcement power so they are effectively a deputized posse that are now <laughs> that are now empowered to go after another deputized posse
0: yeah which sounds dangerous and a- as we learn it is i mean we have this this great scene where they're they're tracking down uh, some of the guys, and one of them hides in an outhouse. But Billy the Kid, can not they're supposed to be, like, discreet.
1: Well, he doesn't even hide in an outhouse. He flat out has to use it. He has to
0: use it. But, I mean, they're supposed to be, you know, discreet, or maybe even do it as a spying mission. But, of course, Billy the Kid, like, screws things up and can't help himself, and it becomes a, a big old shootout.
1: Yeah, they they send him ahead to case the joint, and instead, like when he sees that he instead he just uh, he sees that the guy's inside, or he goes inside, covering his badge. Here's the guy. Here's the guy grumble that he's gonna have to use the restroom. So he just sneaks into the restroom. The guy comes in to use it, and he's like, you know, hey, are you, you know, you know, whatever your name is. And the guy turns around and is like, who wants to know? Like me. And Billy the kid wasn't holding his dick uh, to to make water, as a polite person might say. He's got his gun at crotch level and just guns the guy down and then it turns which is a great a great scene but then it turns into a full-on full-on bloodbath as everybody in in the juke joint starts pulling guns and bullets are flying in every direction and then later we even hear a sensationalist newspaper article referring to it as a massacre uh (laughs) And talking about all, all the, the horrible deaths that happened that day.
0: Well, I like the detail. One of them you know, mentions uh, Billy the Kid, but it doesn't show a picture of Billy. It shows a picture of Dick, the Charlie Sheen character.
1: Oh, yeah. And you know what? It's, it's, it's interesting, It's especially you know, knowing who Charlie Sheen is now. It's really interesting seeing him playing a much more grounded role. Uh, and he is really trying to do the Texas accent. He's not entirely successful, but goddamn, you can see the effort.
0: Yeah, I mean, people forget, but around this time, Charlie Sheen was doing a lot of dramas. He did, you know, the the Oliver Stone pictures, he did Platoon, he did uh, Wall Street. He was a really um, respected, for lack of a better word, actor, and he's kind of now, um, he he had what could be kindly called a rough patch. Uh, And I don't know if he's really made a comeback, but I don't know if he really needs to either.
1: Yeah, it's, 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 looking at this, I wouldn't think, you know, I think this guy's in 20 years is going to play Dex Dog Detective in Food Fight.
0: <laughs> right. It's, uh, yeah, who knows? It's, it's really, do you think it would have been better had Charlie Sheen played Billy the Kid and Emilio Estevez played the part of Dick Brewer? Huh.
1: That would be, that would be an interesting switch, although I think... I, I believe um, Billy the Kid is supposed to be the youngest member of the posse. Emilio Estevez is so baby-faced in this. I feel like you'd still have to give him the part.
0: Yeah, and um, Charlie Sheen, you know, kind of like Nicholas Cage, even when he was very young, had these like chiseled adult sort of features. <laughs> where he could never look, he could never play young. He could always just play old.
1: Yeah, but this, but this incident, uh, this incident at the juke joint. We see this played out again and again. Uh, they get the drop on somebody. They are able to apprehend, you know, one of the people they've been empowered to apprehend, and then Billy the Kid gets somebody killed. That's right. And the one, the one time, and although the one time it works in their favor, so before, um, right before Turnbull, right before Turnstall uh, is is murdered. Uh, a new, a new young man joins, uh, joins them, uh, at the ranch who used to work for Jack Palance, but says he got sick of it and wanted to, you know, kind of be on the right side of things. Well, we come to find out, uh, he, well, actually, I'm not sure we entirely find out, but, um, when they, when they shoot two of Palance's goons dead in the middle of the desert, um, the new guy kind of suggests you know they're probably going to be setting an ambush on the trail so the best way to get back to town would be to just ride straight through the valley uh and he makes this weird hand gesture and Billy the kid's like what's that bill his paranoia just gets amped up uh and eventually uh, eventually kills the guy but like is convinced well he must be a spy the real ambush must be the direction he wants them to go And they end up going a third way, so they never find out which way is ambushed. So it does kind of leave you wondering, did they kill an innocent man who was on their side, or did they kill a spy?
0: I mean, certainly in the Wild West setting, if it it was dangerous if if, uh, history and everything is to be believed. This kind of thing probably happened a lot, where if you weren't sure, you probably would go kill the guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's 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 a brutal scene, but this this is it's at that point that you know I, I'm shocked that Billy the Kid stays with the posse because he he keeps putting everyone's lives at risk being so trigger happy.
0: Yeah, they really could have used a sequence where maybe he like they throw him out of the group. He has sort of a a reckoning and then comes back.
1: Yeah, I, I could see that, but things 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 keep escalating. There's a great scene. Um, <clears throat> Oh, I can't believe I completely lost the thread on that one. There's a gr- there's a great scene. Uh, oh yeah, where they're all in town and they're hanging out. Uh, they're hanging out at this saloon, and this gunslinger's up at the bar talking about how he's going to be the guy who takes in Billy the Kid and co- dead or alive, and collects the bounty. And uh, Billy the Kid actually goes up to the bar, pretended to be just a ranch hand. Like, really? You're the fellow who's gonna get Billy the Kid? Is uh-huh. acting like acting like a real local yokel, and the guy like doesn't even doesn't even know that he's Billy the Kid. And they, there's this whole great interaction. Can I can I hold the gun that's gonna that's gonna kill Billy the Kid? And like he he gets the gun, does a little slide of hand to unload it, hands it back. And then, you know, after the guy kind of gets starts getting annoyed, he's like, I see him. I see Billy the Kid. Where? And he points to a mirror, huh. which is so great. And then the guy draws on him, can't shoot him, and Billy the Kid just slowly raises his gun, slowly presses it to the guy's head, and pulls the trigger. Which, once again, another murder.
0: <laughs> well, but that's, you have to have a bar fight in a Western. It's almost a requirement.
1: Oh, no, no, it's a, it's a great scene, but it's just like at that point, it's like at, at that point, like beyond any reasonable doubt, they should drop Billy the Kid from the posse. He is now just straight up murdering people who have nothing to do with the, uh, with the Lincoln County War.
0: Well, but they're also on the run, right? That's a big part of the story.
1: Well, that's true. Yeah, they're kind of mo- – they're on the move because now some of them are, are wanted because of – Safe things that Billy the Kid has done. Um, there is a, there is a great scene after 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 they've all been sh- they've all been shot in a in the a, a gunfight, and they're, uh you know patching themselves up by a hot spring, and they're talking about like whether they should whether they should split up or go. And Lou Diamond Phillips Chavez has this great scene where where he so he spells out what his whole background is and about how he used to live lived on a reservation. Uh, and they were supposed to get a ration of meat uh, from – they were supposed to get a ration of meat from the, the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And uh, it, it's implied that uh, Palance had something to do with this, but they were sent spoiled meat. Uh, and so uh, he and some other guys re- rode out to try to find uh, – to try to buy some beef to keep uh, to keep the tribe going. And while they were away, the reservation got massacred. Uh, by uh, by the uh, by the U.S. Army and uh, and some you know deputized agents. So they ca- they came back to find his whole his whole extended family dead. And it's you really feel for him as he gives this speech to explain why he's ready to just go west and start over, so that he can so that he can do what he can to preserve to preserve his people and their traditions in a place far from the current conflict that keeps boiling over. I mean, you're it's a real it's a real good scene that does reckon with with the human price of of manifest destiny and westward expansion,
0: yeah. and uh, I wouldn't have minded more of that, but it's also not like the main focus of the movie, but i you're right. I think that even such a scene as in here at the time would have been considered progressive that it was even addressing that at all
1: but uh they kind of and and it's almost I don't 100% buy it when you know they brought out you know like we're like we're we're four guys you know we've been through some shit we're practically family that that's a tribe well yes and no I don't I don't entirely like I don't entirely buy that although I do like I do like that that solidarity they have but at the same time that they're not that's I don't I feel like that's that's not the best response to to Chavez's whole uh, mo- uh, whole monologue there. Uh
0: no, not really. So as people keep on going as the plot uh, progresses we see members of the crew start to get picked off.
1: Yeah, and, and and it's pretty much just down to it's pretty much just down to down to Billy, uh, Josiah, Chavez, uh, and and Dick uh, by the by the end of the film. Right. And, oh, so they they, so as as Billy the Kid gets crazier and crazier and starts committing more wanton murders, there is an attempt made to try to 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 provide some justification for what he's doing, where he talks about how. He wants things to get so crazy that President Rutherford B. Hayes will have to take a good hard look at what 's going on in New Mexico and and basically put an end to the put an end to the conflict with direct intervention and i 'm not sure i 'm not sure entirely by that, if only because he does enjoy killing so much. I feel like that 's just the story that the character tells. But I also feel like like there there is there is something to it. You know, if things get if things get crazy enough, uh the president is gonna have to get involved. And it's and it also occurs to me, I don't think I've seen that many westerns that make specific reference to who is the president or, or like other other things like that, uh, in the middle of the movie.
0: When he gave that like speech I was I was half expecting the movie to cross cut to Rutherford B. Hayes behind his desk in the White House Looking at a newspaper article and raising an eyebrow,
1: <laughs> a lesser movie would have done that.
0: Yeah. Oh, the Wild West. Hmm, Better invest. What is this? The Wild Wild West. Oh the, my! The
1: West has certainly gotten wilder than I thought. Dispatch Artemis Gordon.
0: There's a uh, mechanical spiders running around the Wild West.
1: <laughs> well, that was Grant. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. All right. But yeah, so so eventually, um, you know, they go uh, they go back. They go back into town, um, and uh, they they end up getting they end up they visit uh, they visit uh, Turnstiles old lawyer uh, who is talking about how he's going to try to go over the head of the state's attorney the state attorney general and uh, and and go straight to the White House and they end up getting trapped in the in the uh, in the attic of the lawyer's house as they get surrounded. They get surrounded by local law enforcement and then eventually get surrounded by the United States Cavalry who are, in, who are sent in to directly intervene. But there's – so one other – we talked about anachronisms in music. Um, I'm not sure this one's intentional, but there's a scene where, uh, where Palance and his gang are hanging out at a saloon and they're all singing when Irish eyes are smiling. Irish eyes were smiling was not written until 1912.
0: I mean, they do that kind of thing all the time in movies. I don't know. Like it, it it's a it's a stereotypical music choice. They could have picked Danny Boy. I don't like. <laughs> would that have been any better?
1: No, I mean it, it's 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 just well, like they they have to. They it was the only song they could find that had Irish in the line that everybody knows. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, and so so we end up with a very prolonged uh the very prolonged shootout. Uh, between law enforcement between the the posse law enforcement and the cavalry uh and we see a lot of hardware uh there's actually there's even like there's even a gatling gun which had had recently been invented and deployed by the united states army which uh immediately raises the stakes of the shootout but what did did you think of the final showdown
0: I, i i like the final showdown i think with the gatling gun you're right it does raise the stakes it makes it more um more chaotic more of a faster pace than than people you know loading their reloading the pistols or the rifles and trying to scoot behind things it uh it's it's good i mean in a way I, i almost wish more of the the group would have survived for the final battle i think that might have been more satisfying in some ways to see them get picked off at the very end um because it, it is, I do think it's stronger when the group is of uh, the regulators are seven people instead of just four.
1: Yeah, the and the way so the the climax uh, the climax of this scene, it's so at it, 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 they set fire to the bottom floor of the lawyer's house so that they're gonna you know smoke smoke them out and you know the flame we do see the flames start to rise up through the stairwell. Um, the lawyer, uh, the lawyer and his wife, manage to get out of the house. Uh, so the po- so it's just the posse and uh, uh, the posse and and uh, and Yen Soon, and the posse starts throwing all the all the luggage and bric-a-brac and whatnot out of the attic, including this big steamer trunk. This this is badass, but also like it strains credulity because see the steamer trunk. Then later the top opens and Billy, the kid comes out with two pistols, Mm -hmm. not concussed and just starts gunning people down. Um, And it's a ridiculously chaotic Chavez, who I think they think has, uh, uh, has abandoned them comes in uh, with horses. Uh, The surviving posse all gets on horses rides away and Jack Palance gets shot in the head and stumbles one too many times for me to take his death seriously.
0: Yeah, I could see that.
1: Uh and then it like and so you know they all ride off and then immediately it cuts to a voiceover with sort of doc t- talking about what he heard happened to the rest of the posse after they fled the state.
0: I did not like I I never like it when a film ends like a voiceover like this. It reminds me of the ending of American Graffiti. It's never satisfying. This guy did this. This guy did this. And this one, well, you know what happened to him. It,
1: yeah, I feel like it would have been I feel like it would have been more satisfying to like cut to an old-timey photograph of them and then just have text come up. Uh because after all, that one of one of the scenes, there's an infamous photo of Billy the Kid. One of the scenes in this movie is that we see that photo get taken. Right. And and so you could have you could have you could have done something uh with that, which unfortunately the movie does not do. And so the, the and you know the narration does last a little bit too long. Talks about uh, Billy the Kid dying and how somebody went up to his grave and 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 scratched the word pals into it.
0: That's really cheesy. I
1: well, I think what it is is because there's only one scene before then where they refer to each other as pals. If that beat had been hit and w- had been hit one more time, maybe at the beginning of the movie, that would work.
0: Yeah. I... Hmm. Yeah, I mean, overall, I'm just so mixed on this film. I don't know. I think the cast has good chemistry. It, it does what it can, but it, something about it feels a bit flat. Like, it, it's not quite as fun as I thought it would be. I will give this a sequel, no.
1: I'm going to give it a very, a very mild sequel, yes. I guess... This is one of those movies where I don't think it's I don't think it's great and I don't think it's terrible. It it was a, a mixed bag of things I loved and hated. That being said, the surviving cast I love so much, particularly Lou Diamond Phillips, mm-hmm. that I would like to see. I would like to see them ride out one more time. Maybe get involved in another uh, real historical event of their era.
0: Oh, and in fact, next week we'll be talking about Young Guns too.
1: Ah, uh, yes.
0: So which uh, includes, among other things, Emilio Estevez in old band makeup. <laughs> so look forward. I'm, I'm
1: having, I'm having uh, flashbacks to uh, the young Indiana Jones Chronicles oh. where they show the old Indiana Jones.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, early something. Okay, so with the uh, pitch a sequel, I, uh, I had something in mind with, uh, with this. So in the end, we get the voiceover of what happens to the people. I, I would start the sequel with that same voiceover. And then as it goes to the the gravestone that says pals on it and it would freeze and then the voiceover of Doc would continue. But that's not what really happened. (laughs) And instead he would go and and talk about um, it would be a, a prequel about Billy the Kid, what he did before joining the group. And part of it would be like a mockumentary or mockumentary interviewing people that knew him. Intercut with footage of a, I guess nowadays it would be a digitally de-aged Emilio Estevez. Kind of creepy with the creepy skin uh, doing these things and kind of enlightening who, um, who Billy the Kid was. And then after we see this whole thing done in mockumentary format... At the end as a tag, we see directed by Lawrence Murphy, Jack Palance's character. So what we just saw was a propaganda film. (laughs) That's great. A bit meta. So it would be Young Guns 2, Billy the Kid, Origins, Wolverine. (laughs)
1: Will someone call him Wolverine at some point, or will he meet Wolverine? I, I,
0: I think, like, he'll have, uh, as a kid, he'll have, like, a, uh, an action figure. Like, or, what is it? No, they don't have action figures. He'd have, like, a, a, a pony called Wolverine.
1: <laughs> you know, I always thought it's especially cruel when you name one animal after another animal. Like, dogs named Fox.
0: Yeah, that is sort of strange. You see that sometimes... uh I I've seen Bear as a name for dogs a lot. But on the other hand, I don't think you should name animals names like Frederick or something. I think it needs to sound like a a, a pet name.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's something to that. So, so my uh, my young guns sequel so I want to I want to stick I want to stick with Billy the Kid, uh, but I also want this movie to end with a high note. So it's going to be a follow up about what Billy the Kid did after uh, after uh, he went west. And in the in right before, and the, near the end of the film, uh, Sheriff Pat Garrett is going to finally capture him. He's going to be put on trial. He's going to be convicted, and he's going to be hanged. And we're going to make you think that we're going to get that hanging. But then we're going to get his thrilling escape from jail uh, because that is what happened uh, in April twenty eighth, eighteen eighty one. Uh, the other young guns are going to show up, bust him out of jail. Uh, two sheriff's deputies are going to die in the process. Who are also going to be characters we've come to know, and that's going to be the high note. Is they're going to they're going to ride out, but we are going to come back to the voiceover where Doc explains that uh, two months later, uh, two months later uh sheriff garrett manages to track billy down and just shoots him and he dies and he dies as he lived in cold blood
0: would it be called in cold blood
1: um no i think i think it would be called young guns Two: no country for old men uh
0: all right there you go i've I've never heard that title before very good um (laughs) so i think i have a question for you mr thrasher
1: What question would that be? I am mostly ears.
0: What you watching?
1: Oh, okay. So I watched a... Weird. I watched a weird movie. So I watched *The Bed Sitting Room*, which is a movie directed by Richard Lester that is based on a play uh, that was written by Spike Milligan uh, and John Antrobus. And I probably mentioned Spike Milligan before. He was a British comedy writer and performer. He was one of the uh, he was one of the the creators and big forces behind *The Goon Show*, which is one of the foundations of modern British comedy. Uh, and he just had a really, really surrealistic sense of humor and that's all encapsulated in this movie. So right off the bat, if you don't like Spike Milligan or don't like surrealistic British humor, you're probably not going to like this movie. <laughs> but the bed sitting room, it takes place in a post-apocalyptic Britain. And the whole thing is like filmed in like quarries and drainage ditches and like they they somehow found a place where it's all broken plates as far as the eye can see. Uh, I don't know if they found a bunch of plates and broke them or if there was a garbage dump that was full of just broken plates. but it's this weird, this weird post-apocalyptic Britain. Um, you know, after after uh, you know, a few year, a few years after a full-on nuclear war, that as near as we can tell may have only affected Britain. Uh, and it, the reason it's called the bed sitting room is that there is this upper, there's this upper class uh, blue blood who survived the war, who is trying to find a doctor because he believes he's turning into a bed sitting room. And in fact, he does. He starts to mutate, and he mutates into a furnished bed-sitting room that one by one, the other characters start living in. What? Oh, no, it's really weird. Yeah. And, and like, there's there, – like, everyone is always, like, walking, and there are these police in a VW Beetle that is suspended from a hot air balloon that are always showing up and telling people, no, no, you have to keep moving. You can't stop there. We'll have to write you up. But – one of the things they things that is never commented on when a character holds still they start to change, and in fact another character just decides they're going to stop walking and just sits down. They turn into a chest of drawers. Like people mutate, but they only mutate into other things <laughs> that already exist.
0: So is it funny or is it just weird for the sake of being surreal?
1: It's it's both. Like I I, I found it I found it. Very very funny, but I really like Spike Milligan. If you're not in tune with that uh, with that sense of humor, you will be probably befuddled or outright enraged uh, by this movie. Although that being said, you get to see all the goons on screen. Peter Sellers has a cameo. Um, uh, Harry Seacum, the the kind of sort of main guy from the Goon Show, plays this uh, this government agent slash conspiracy theorist who lives in a bunker who has devoted his life to figuring out who betrayed Britain and who dropped the bomb. And it turns out he's right, but no one cares. Hmm. Their lives are so horrible. They just don't care. And it also, it also sort of playfully mocks the whole stiff upper lip can put up with anything uh, British attitude.
0: All right. There you go. Interesting. I, I saw a movie I've been looking forward to for a long time. Um Was, um, Netflix had to had to finance it, and it had a very limited theatrical release. just popped up on the streaming service. I'm talking about Dolomite is My Name.
1: Oh, I can't wait to see
0: that. Yeah, it's a starring Eddie Murphy, written by Scott Alexander and Larry Kraszewski, who wrote things like Ed Wood and Big Eyes and uh, The People versus O.J. Simpson. Um, Eddie Murphy was a producer on this, and he had such a good time working with Craig Brewer that he decided to work with them again on, uh, as I mentioned, Coming to America. Um, which is coming out next year. Um, I think that'll get a more traditional release, I believe. But um, it, but it, I mean, the cast is great. You have people like uh, Wesley Snipes, Keegan Michael Key, Craig Robinson. And I walked into it having only seen maybe the trailer for a few Dolomite uh, movies, and um, it it is kind of like Ed Wood in that it's it's this uh, peculiar individual that has a fire in him to, in this case, he he makes albums and does stand-up and, and does albums and is basically the godfather of rap, as some people have called him. Snoop Dogg even has a cameo. Um, and transitioning from music to film and uh, basically using his last dollar to do a film and then no one will distribute it and, uh, and so forth. Um, I will say quite a lot of it as it goes on, is them recreating scenes from dolomite but yeah. but they have a blast with the uh, with the costumes with the the period music um on on Twitter, someone pointed out to me and I confirmed it happened on my end as well. I guess a lot of these subtitles have to be automated. I don't think they're done by humans uh because in the beginning of the song it does this uh r and b song uh, i wanna thank you for letting me be myself, be myself yeah. yeah and but in the subtitles it says i want to thank you for letting me be mice elf
1: <laughs> oh my you know it's it's oh that was by sly and the family stone thank the song yeah. thank you oh which you know it's funny you mentioned that i remember um when like some of the first automated speech to text programs became available one of the commentators on CNET talked about talked talked about exactly that, and you know he says like he actually got several computers running with several different versions, several different programs on it, and just recited the same thing. to See how they would they would do it, and like what he came up. One of the things he came up with was Halloween is a freak occasion, and Halloween's Halloween's are a freak Caucasian. <laughs>
0: I worked with the looks like that's still happening. Yeah, I worked with an engineer who has. She bought a uh, a Google Home and an Amazon Echo. I think she bought two of each, and have them all sitting in their own room with the door closed, and they just talk to each other constantly.
1: That's crazy, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and she's like, I just want to see what they say. And they're constantly, uh, you know, the AI in those things is constantly learning. It picks up the last. I believe it might be like the last 10 minutes and the following 10 minutes of everything that you say next to those devices. And there is a recent uh, murder case in which, for evidence, they had to contact Amazon to pick up audio to see if this person was really in the room or not when the person died.
1: That, that is getting into some William Gibson territory. Not only
0: that, you know, they have uh, that stuff on TVs, right? Now the mm. microphones and stuff. And in, in the manuals on modern televisions, it says not have sensitive conversations in front of your television.
1: That That's not a problem we should have. I agree. Just I agree. That's fucked put, up. <laughs> don't put the microphone onto the television. Yeah.
0: Or to the remote or whatever it's on. Right. But uh, more to the point, Dolomite is my name. I strongly recommend it. Not knowing anything about Dolomite, I still found it funny. Um it makes me wonder if this is successful enough. Would they do another one about some of the other movies? I don't know. Uh, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing you could do a sequel to, but you never know. Um, also, yeah, it's
1: kind of difficult to do sequels to biographies. I mean, they,
0: they've done it before, but yeah, it's not that common. Um, but however, um, Eddie Murphy, aside from coming to America, he also claims to be finally getting Beverly Hills Cop four off the ground.
1: Huh. Is Uncle Dave going to come back? Uh,
0: no, I, I, no. I bet you money. No. Um, you know, they, they got close to making it maybe 10 years ago with, um, Brett Ratner directing, and it would have been a darker script that would have had a Judge Reinhold get murdered. Um, but as a Billy, but yeah, I I have no idea. I hope they'd make a Beverly Hills Cop 4. I like that series. I hope they keep it rated R. Uh, Dolomite is my name is notable because it's the first rated R movie Eddie Murphy has made in 20 years.
1: Really? Yeah. Well I guess he did do so many family films at one point. Guess what his
0: last rated R movie was.
1: Was that Beverly Hills Cop Three? No.
0: It was Life was it? Huh. with him and uh Martin Lawrence. So yeah, strongly recommend Dolomite as my name. Eddie Murphy hasn't been this good in a long time. And it, it and it makes me want to hunt out, you know, the movies and the original albums of Dolomite, which that's about the best compliment you can give.
1: Yeah, I believe you start with The Human Tornado. I believe that was the first Dolomite film.
0: Um, Let, let me look that up, because I don't... The way the movie presents it, I think it's just... Uh, nope, the first movie was uh, Dolomite.
1: Oh, my mistake.
0: But what's in, he did make a movie called... Um, Like, right before he died, he did, like, a Dolomite movie that's only available on one, like, rare box set called The Return of Dolomite or The Dolomite Explosion, made in 2002. Uh-huh.
1: So there's, there's one he did, uh, Petey Wheatstraw, The Devil's Brother-in-Law, mm-hmm. that is a, a, a great, weird, horror dog's breakfast of a movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, that one, I think, has... Uh, but he also, that's interesting, he was like, had small parts in other movies throughout the years, like, uh, like BAPS or uh, Penitentiary 2.
1: Well, I mean, he, he, he's a guy that got around, and he was, uh, he was influential, and I like, like, I liked it, I liked that he, he worked f- consistently. Like, he's, R- Rudy Rudy Ray Moore is, he's an underappreciated American original, I guess, is, is my masturbatory way of putting it
0: and he lived to be 81 years old which is something i thought he was younger for some reason so very very cool um and i i, I kind of wonder what the estate of rudy Remore thinks of the film but he didn't have any children or anything but he did have siblings so we, we may never know um all right let's do the sequel scene you pulled up something you thought was a you said it's difficult to find short scenes nowadays is that right
1: well, for this, for this movie in particular, every quote I could find uh, every, every, uh, for, for Young Guns was either one or two characters with just saying ridiculously long blocks of text or scenes where seven characters are talking at once. And so this was sort of a nice pared down scene from earlier in the movie that reveals uh, some character and gives us a chance to do an accent.
0: Yes. Uh just pulling this up on the screen. Alright, and what character do you want to be?
1: Um I I've done I've uh I've, I've done British accents, so I'll go ahead and do uh Charlie Bowder.
0: Okay. And and Tunstall is the Terrence Stamp character.
1: Ah uh, yes. And t- to set this scene, this is this is early on in the movie, this is when everybody gathers for, for supper at the Turnstall ranch. And and we get to see we get to see some of Turnstall's sort of Tough but fair attitude as uh, some of the some of the other ranch hands start ragging on Billy the Kid. Yeah, I believe
0: people used to call it tough love or something like that. All right, so yeah. let's go. They're they're all they're all chowing down on their supper at the table. Um, what do you find funny, Stephen? That's no proper table manners.
1: <laughs> He's got away with hogs. <laughs>
0: Congratulations, Charles. You and Stephen will be doing the dirty crockery alone this evening.
1: So, sorry, John. It just struck me funny.
0: And to William, both of you.
1: Uh, apologies, Billy. I, I I just hacking on you.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure why he did that as Sean Connery. Or whatever that it's was. It's a
1: fun voice to do. It is. You can do, you can do everybody as Sean Connery. Now it's the winter of our discontent.
0: To be or not to be, that is the question.
1: <laughs> do you know what they call a quarter pounder with cheese in French? What? a Royale with cheese. Hmm. Do you know what they call an Egyptian uh, in Highlander? Me. Ramirez!
0: Part Scots, part Egyptian. No, he's part Spaniard, part Egyptian, my mistake. All the mortal. Yes. Okay. So, uh, next week we will be talking about Young Guns 2... And then we'll be following that up with, in the weeks ahead with a belated Halloween uh, look at the three Dracula pictures.
1: That's, that's going to be fun, and we'll have something to be thankful for.
0: Yeah, we'll be thankful for Dracula. <laughs> for Dracula. Fames for the memories, as they say. Um, <laughs> so, let's see. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at SequelCast2 or follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T.
1: You can follow me on Twitter, at Internet Leave
0: a review on iTunes for Sequel Cast 2 and Friends. Um, let's see, let's, let's plug some stuff. I have a book out called The Films of Uwe Boll, Volume 1, The Video Game Movies. You can get it from Amazon in Kindle, uh, Audible, or print formats. The Audible version is read by Jonas Gawe.
1: Very cool. I I for the moment do not have anything new and thrilling uh, to promote. You've
0: just been teasing something for several months, but I'm sure I'm sure when it's ready, you won't be shy about talking about it. Oh
1: no, no, I won't. I won't be. Things just kind of got. I recently moved, and that kind of derailed or delayed a lot of things. (laughs) So now I'm finally getting back. I'm finally getting caught up. I
0: still see there's boxes in the background. Are you almost done unpacking, or?
1: Well, I we're like I'm done kind of unpacking, but I'm kind of I'm still trying to get this room organized the way I want it.
0: I see, I see. Okay, very good. So, um, for Sequel Cast uh, 2, this is Matt.
1: And <laughs> this is Thrax. Same. Ramirez!
0: Now that's what I call a young gun.
1: <laughs> when Irish eyes are smiling. dee dee dum dee tidee day.